Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Don Marsh. Today we want to take a closer look at the role of journalists and journalism in reporting stories such as the news this week that Missouri Governor Greitens admitted to an extramarital affair. There are many questions about the story, the sourcing for it, and the timing of it. With me to talk about it and to help you understand the way we approach such stories is Shula Newman, our executive editor here. Also with us is KMOV investigative reporter Lauren Traeger. She broke the story for Channel 4. Thank you both for being with us. Nice to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Lauren, congratulations. You've got a story that's going to have some legs, I believe. You know, it's been interesting because a few other people have said that word, and it's it's tough to accept congratulations on a story this important and serious. Thank, thank you for saying that, but it is. It's you know, I take no no joy in any of this, in reporting any of this. I know my colleagues, all of you guys feel the same way, I'm sure. Well, one of the things that has come up, Lauren, during the, uh, the couple of days the story's been out there is many reporters, including some of our own, knew this was going on or knew some of it uh, and chose not to do the story. Why did you choose to do it? Well, a couple things here. Um, I have learned about this. I learned about this a long time ago. I've known about this for a lot of months, and I'm sure other people have as well. I mean, I think just like in any town, anywhere, journalists will get the same piece of information and decide what to do with it. I think that's just natural. That's something that's happened throughout the course. Um, but I felt, of course, that I had to do my due diligence when you get a, a piece of information that important or that serious to to run down every lead and to speak with every person that you felt would be important to talk to for a story like this. Um, try to open doors, I guess, so to speak. Over, I kept saying to myself, I need to turn over every leaf just to see what's there. Um, and a couple really important points that I think I want to communicate as to why we decided to move forward with the story. Number one being, I have spoken with the woman in question. I've spoken to her face. We've, we've spoken in person. We had a lengthy conversation. I want to be very clear, it was off the record. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to say much more beyond that because you guys understand what that means mm -hmm. and what those arrangements sure. often are with people. Mm -hmm. So I won't say more about what was said exactly in that meeting. But I did speak with her. I've spoken to her. I've actually spoken to her attorney since as well. And before we ran with the story, we did inform her attorney that we had the audio recording and that we felt it was going to be released imminently. Because I think based on the conversations in Jefferson City that were happening, as we all know about, right. um, you know, it, it, there was a sense that this story was coming out from someone. Now, we had already decided as a news outlet and I always take the, the stance that it's better to be right than first, of course, hands down. Um, and I, I think I had become resigned to, and I think our outlet had kind of accepted the fact that if we weren't first on this, on this story, that's okay, because we wanted to be right first. We spoke with the ex-husband, um, and we spoke to him on the record, and we did not speak to him under the condition of anonymity. We, I would not have agreed to an interview in that way. But it turned um, out that way. And we made that editorial choice. Mm -hmm. um, and it was a choice that we made after the interview. Um, and a lengthy interview. I spoke with him for hours, and our on-camera interview with him lasted almost a full hour. Um, but we made that editorial choice afterwards. It was, it was an on-the-record, open conversation with him. We never agreed in any way, shape, or form to conceal his identity. Well, why right. did... Why did <laughs> sure. And a great question. And I think the reason we did that is because we felt that measure was necessary to protect his ex-wife's identity in this situation. Um, you know, if you identify him, obviously, 
it's quite easy for anyone in the public to find out then who his ex-wife is. Um, and so we had lengthy, lengthy conversations as a team. You know, again, I've told a couple people, certainly as a journalist, I don't make decisions in a vacuum. I'm so grateful for my news director, Scott Diener, who was really helping me along the way. But I also work with a team of, like, seriously awesome journalists. Um, and we were having these conversations for months um, about what to do and how best to approach this. Um, so we made that editorial choice. And then finally, the other key point is that we did not decide to do this story until we had confirmation from the governor of an extramarital affair. And at that particular time, given the totality of all of our reporting, the fact that I had spoken to the ex-husband on the record, that I had spoken to her off the record, and the governor's confirmation, we felt comfortable at that time to move forward. The governor knew before his state of the state address that you had the story? Uh, not before the state of the state address. Okay. Um, the timing of that, you know, certainly we we had no specific plans to move forward on any story. And, um, you know, we were watching the state of the state address, as I'm sure you guys were and many of your listeners were, not assuming we were going to do the story at that particular time. Um, but as soon as we did hear that the governor was intending to acknowledge the extramarital affair, we felt that we needed to move forward, and, and then we did the story. We did not do the story before the governor confirmed that extramarital affair. Sure, let me turn to you. Uh, conversely, we decided not to do this story. Correct. Why? What was our thinking on this? Um, well, it was, th there was a lot of thought around it. I mean, one was we, um, we couldn't, we hadn't been able to get in touch with the woman. So there is that aspect of it. Um, and we felt that there wasn't going to be corroboration, um, you know, from the governor. Um, and it just, it smacked of, you know, if, if the woman wasn't willing to tell the story herself, then we didn't think that it was appropriate to let somebody else tell the story for her. Um, my, my thinking is, and this is, uh, you know, speculation because I, I haven't spoken with the man, um, but it seems like he's, uh, you know, it, 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 it smacks of a unhappy marriage and a, dis and a husband that wanted to somehow get back at his wife and she was going in a different direction. And as I said, I feel that it, I feel that it was her story to tell um, and come out with. A man, it was a man with a grudge, I think, is the way uh, the, some people have put it. Yes. Did you see it that way, Laura? You know, um, I, I, I think that's a really important question and, and something we grappled with and something personally that I struggled with a lot mm -hmm. um, before reporting this story because I think that's a really good question. And with everything that's going on right now in our society, everything that we've sort of been examining, I mean, that question of, you know, does someone is someone else entitled to your story right. is really important. Um, so again, you know, we weighed that really, really heavily. Um, I do think, though, that because this is a matter of public interest, um, because this is our top chief executive that we're talking about here, um, there there was something to weigh in that as well. And and the I, I also believe in the public's right to know information. That's why I'm a journalist, um, and it's why I feel so strongly about what I do. So obviously, we ultimately made the decision to report what we did based on what we know. Um, and I think we stand by that, of course. We do. We stand by that. I just really appreciate even that we're having this conversation right now. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I respect you guys so much. I respect my colleagues so much. I can certainly 100% understand why as an organization you would choose not to. Yeah. I, I really get that. I, I have a question because I, I, I agree with you about the importance of holding our public officials accountable for sure. Um, the aspect of the story that 
for me does rise to the occasion of, um, you know, this is, this had we been able to confirm and get all of the verification that we needed, um, was the picture that the governor apparently took and threatened sure. her to release. Mm -hmm. um, so, so for me, that part of it is good, but I am wondering, because that was buried in your story, what was the, I mean, what aspect of the story prompted you to keep digging into it? Was it that he might have committed something criminal? Or well, and I'll, and if I may correct that, I mean, our sure. headline said blackmail alleged. That's true. As Online. governor admits extramarital right. affair. So, I mean, I guess you could argue in the structure of the story, it comes a little bit later. But I, I, it was in our lead of our headline. I mean, that is, of course, the most concerning thing. I mean, I understand. I have, again, personally, I'm a human being as well as a journalist. But this is a tough thing. It's tough. And yeah. you know that this is a very, from listening to the conversation, this is a truly private and painful moment, I believe, um, just from listening to that audio between two people. And I think there are reasons to question, you know, whether or not someone's being truthful in a conversation like that because it is private and, and, and it was also recorded without her knowledge, which is an important distinction, something we were very transparent about in reporting. So I think it was that added level of, you know, whether or not there's a potential crime here or something that is morally abhorrent enough to people that they would want to know about it because mm -hmm. the criminal distinction of course is interesting too is is it going to be criminal well, that remains it, to be seen now with an investigation as far as i've been able to determine the only one calling it blackmail aside from the certain people in the media was again this single source the the husband who had a, an axe to grind did she during the time that you spoke with her say he he was going to blackmail me i've heard the clip she said he just took a picture she saw the flesh Sure. You draw your own conclusions from that. Well, and again, I'm being very, very careful because, you know, within the standards of my ethics and, and journalistic practices, I don't want to reveal what she told to me because it was an off-the-record conversation and mm -hmm. certainly a private one as well. Um, but I will say again, do I feel like we had the corroboration enough to move forward with a story? Yes, I do. Well, an interesting story it certainly is, and I mentioned earlier that it's got uh, – it's going to be continuing – uh, about this recording, uh, we have been reading that this was a result of some sort of therapy that the couple was undergoing. And if, in fact, that was the case, then I would assume that both of them would have to know that a recording was being made. Now, that's not um, a part of my reporting. I'm not sure yeah. who is reporting that at this point. The, the ex-husband mentioned to me that, you know, this was certainly in their process of reconciliation. Um, that that he took this recording. So in terms of whether or not that's some kind of therapy, I'm not sure how he would even define therapy. I, I have not seen that today. But uh, what he told me, you know, again, in our conversations and in our on-the-record uh, interview, he said that it was taken in the process of reconciliation. And I, I do also, also point out, I mean, for I know other outlets have spoken with him as well, conducted interviews. I'm not sure if you guys we have. Um, you know, there's a lot of tough questions to be asked of this man. Yeah. What is your motivation? You know, are, are you seeking to financially gain from this in any way? Are you seeking to benefit from this in any way personally at all? And those questions were certainly asked of him. And mm -hmm. I and I think it's our duty to ask those questions. What is your motivation? And and what is, you know, why did you do this? What did he say? Um, he said to me that his motivation at the time for taking the recording was that he wanted to ensure that he remembered this conversation. His mm -hmm. then wife told him earlier in the day that something she needed to talk to him about something very, very serious. And he said in our interview that he thought a bomb was going to drop. 
Mm. um, because of what she had intimated to him is what he said. So he said, I wanted to, I knew it was going to be an emotional conversation. I knew it was going to be, you know, a tough conversation. So I wanted to record it so that I could listen to it again later on. I asked him, you know, did you want to leverage this against her in some way? Were you going to use this in your divorce proceeding? And he said, no, at the time he was focused on reconciliation. This, these are the things that he said on the record to me. Is he your only source for the story? Sources are a difficult thing to talk about, but he's the only one that you've mentioned. Was there another source? Well, I certainly would say that she's a source, um, you know, because we had that uh, added layer of corroboration because I have spoken to her. I've been able to assess her credibility as journalists have to do. Um, I was able to read her body language. I was I, I had a conversation with her that I felt um, gave an, an added layer of corroboration that to, to I'm not sure that anyone else has that yet. I don't know. Maybe maybe she has spoken to someone else. Um, but I, I think that she's a source. I think he's a source. Obviously, you reach out to everyone else. You know, I mean, I know that there's some conversation about um, Roy Temple, if you guys have seen that as well. You know, the governor has made a statement through his attorney saying that this is a political hit piece and that there's one particular person who has been pushing that. I can tell you that in my reporting, he was not a, an official source to me. But let me ask this, though. Um, in, in getting the story, and again, you don't have to name names, um, but this was a story that was mentioned to several journalists um, and by somebody who, um, you know, is, is not a, is an FO of the governor. And, and so, so the motivation of the husband for wanting to tell the story is one thing. What about the motivation of the person who first tipped you off? Do you know much about that person's background? Well, and again, that does get into sourcing. Without you know, <laughs> I mean, yeah. Can I say that Roy Temple was my initial source on this? No. Uh, no, he wasn't. Now, of course, yes, every time anyone tells me a piece of information, you know, I, I say to myself and I say out loud to my team, what is their motivation? Why would they want to bring this forward? And I think we have to be asking those are really, really important questions. I really, I honestly believe that. And I think, you know, you have to ask yourself who who has um, declined this story and, and why are they now moving on to someone else if they are in fact moving on? Now, I don't know if I was the first person told or the 20th person told. My job is when I get a piece of information I think is pertinent or relevant and that people need to know is to run it down. Mm. I mean, that's what I love about being an investigative journalist because I don't have to cover the murders every day anymore. I'm not just this, you know, GA reporter. I get to, if there's something to run down, I get to run it down until you might reach a place where you decide not to move forward or it, it reaches a dead end or you get the pieces to come together where you feel comfortable moving forward. I think you said earlier that the husband wanted to keep this matter private. Was that correct? Uh, he certainly indicated that in our interview, that he, of course, knew about this way back in 2015, prior to the governor being elected. Um, and he says that he hired, and Al Watkins, his attorney, says, I was hired to keep it quiet. Um, and if I wanted this information to come out much uh, earlier, I could have let it come out much earlier. Well, he was tweeting in 2016 he that did. the governor was a homewrecker. That's exactly. true. That is true. <laughs> and that, yeah, I mean, there was that piece of, and, and I asked him about that as well. And he said, well, that was a tough day for me, you know, when, on the election day, obviously. Um, he says that was a tough time. So he said, I may have gotten a little emotional on social media. Um you know, I think that is an important point. Why now? We asked him about that a lot. Why right now? Not a satisfactory answer or? Um, you know, it was, again, satisfactory because we reported the story. Right. Um, so the answer he gave was that he felt he'd been contacted by authorities and there was that additional layer as well 
um, that, you know, Al Watkins says, I have given this recording to the authorities and they have repeatedly made contact with me about it. Now, is that in the form of a formal investigation? You know, I mean, they don't always confirm that stuff. But the fact that he was making contact with law enforcement, the husband said that, as well as other media contacting him, he felt like now was the time. We've got to to wrap this up. Just a couple of points I want to make. We now have Kim Gardner, the circuit attorney, in on this. My understanding is that there are two criminal uh, potentials here, criminal charge potentials here. One is the blackmail, if that turns out to be uh, turns out to be true. The other is the non-consensual photograph. Is that your understanding of it? Um, you know, we've spoken to some legal experts about this too, because we're interested in that. Um, it sounds like it may be invasion of privacy under Missouri statutes, maybe a harassment potentially under Missouri statutes, or it may be nothing under those things. You know, I mean, it really there's a lot of factors still, I think, in all of this um, as to whether or not anything will bear out in that. We've got to end it right there. I want to thank you both so much for being with us, Lauren. Thank you for coming in. I hope you don't feel on the, the defensive about this, because uh, no, I, actually, you know, we want to teach the audience more about sure. what we do and have a better understanding well, of how to do it I really better. appreciate talking with you about this, too, and I learned a lot about what went into your thinking. It's very helpful for me. Well, and I welcome these conversations. I think as journalists and, and the public, we should be having these conversations about ethics and about our process so that people can see, you know, this. there's a, there's a right way and there's a wrong way to do things. That's why we wanted to have this conversation. Sure. Again, I thank you, Lauren Traeger, for, uh, for being with us. Thank Shula. you. Nice to see you, as always. (laughs) This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU.